Welcome to Why Am I So Effing Stressed, hosted by Anne-Marie Bell, who created this podcast to share her own journey on how unmanaged chronic stress wreaked havoc with her health and life when she received an unexpected, out-of-left-field breast cancer diagnosis in 2013. Now a certified stress management coach, Anne-Marie is committed to educating and helping people better understand stress and learn healthy ways to more effectively manage it and live their best lives. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. And unfortunately for some, it might even be good middle of the night. Maybe you went to bed with every intention of getting a really good night's sleep, and then all of a sudden it was 2 a.m., and you were laying there staring at the ceiling, unable to quiet your mind. Try as you might, your thoughts just kept coming and coming and coming, and all of a sudden your mind said to you, tonight we ride as a Ferrari, and the thought engine roared to life. And all of a sudden, you found yourself racing down Insomnia Highway at like 200 miles per hour. And then it was 3 a.m. And then it was 4 a.m. And then it was 5 a.m. And maybe you fell asleep for a little while, but that alarm clock went off at 6 a.m. So you really didn't get a good night's sleep. And you said to yourself, I can't do this anymore. And maybe you Googled stress management. Maybe this podcast came up as a choice. And you said to yourself, what do I have to lose? I'm going to check it out. Well, however you got here, I am so glad you are here. This is the safe zone to talk about all things stress. My name is Anne-Marie Bell, also known as AMB, and this is Why Am I So Effing Stressed? Let me ask a few questions to see if this is the right place for you to land. So, are you feeling weary a lot of the time, just bone tired, weary without any apparent reason. And you've had your physical, so it's not a physical ailment. You just feel weary all the time. Do you feel burned out? Or maybe you're thinking, I don't just feel burned out. I have not one ounce of energy left to give anybody or anything. I'm beyond burned out. Do you feel overwhelmed? Maybe all the time or maybe A lot of the time, like maybe you have a good day where you don't feel overwhelmed and then you have three or four days where you're totally overwhelmed. Then you have a good day and you feel like, okay, it's lifted. But then next day, back to overwhelm and you just can't seem to break that cycle. Do you feel a little lost and alone with how you're feeling? Even though you might be surrounded by friends and family and loved ones, you still feel really lost and alone. Are you easily frustrated? You have a short fuse all the time. And you're thinking, as you're losing your ever-loving shit for the 20th time in a few days, you're thinking to yourself, why am I losing my ever-loving shit over this little thing? But you can't seem to stop. Do you feel anxious and worried all the time? And you're worrying about this and worrying about that. And you can't seem to make that stop. Do you feel mentally exhausted or physically exhausted or emotionally exhausted or all three or some combination thereof? Do you feel stuck on stuck? You just can't seem to get off this hamster wheel, even though you've tried so many things, but nothing seems to work. 
do you feel misunderstood? You're trying to explain what's happening, but no one seems to understand it. And that gets you even more stressed and frustrated. Do you feel broken into different fragmented pieces? And usually you can pick up all those pieces and smush them back together and pick yourself up and dust yourself off and everything's okay. But lately you just can't seem to put those pieces back together and you're completely fragmented most of the time. Are you feeling embarrassed or ashamed about how you're feeling and and how you're not able to get your arms around your stress? And you're thinking to yourself, everybody seems to deal with their life so much better than me. What's wrong with me? Well, I'm here to tell you that there is nothing wrong with you. I've been to all of these places so many times, and I still visit a few of them. But the difference between my visits today and my visits 10 years ago is that I have learned some techniques and strategies to manage my stress so much more effectively than I used to. I still get stressed, but I deal with it differently. And that makes a great difference in the quality of my life. So hopefully what I just said should be a nice signal to you that this is a no judgment zone. And as you hear bits and pieces of my story in my life, before I figured some of this out, it will be really obvious to you that I have no business judging anybody because I did not manage my stress well at all for many, 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 many years. So think of this podcast as a safe harbor for you to sail into and let your ship drop anchor for a while so you can take yourself out of whatever storm is coming into your life or storms and take a break. We're going to talk about ways that we can help ourselves become stronger and more confident in our ability to identify the sources of stress in our life. Some of them are obvious, but some of them aren't. What triggers us and everybody's triggers are different how we react to those triggers, what our stress tolerance levels are, and so much more. I have a low stress tolerance level. I learned that as I was being certified to be a stress management coach. We did a lot of assessments, and I learned that I get easily stressed. Everything stresses me out. Well, maybe not everything, but a lot of things do. But in learning different techniques to managing it, even though I have a low tolerance for stress, I'm in a good position because I know how to handle it. And that's what we're going to help you do. Learn how to handle it differently. And together we'll learn ways to deal with and manage stress so it doesn't manage us. And it doesn't maintain a vice-like grip on our immune systems and our spirits. And we're going to take this journey together one step at a time. Change does not happen overnight. It took me almost 10 years to get to the point that I'm at. And I want to share all my learnings with you and my mistakes so you don't have to take that long. But you'll never hear me say, hey, do these six things and your stress will be managed perfectly in 24 hours. It takes time. It takes practice. Some things that I do, they may not appeal to you and they may not work for you. But there may be other things that do. And you might try them several times and you really don't see any difference or benefit. But if you keep steady on it, you'll start to see it and you start to feel different. So before I get into the next topic, I want to share a statistic with you. And when I read this statistic, I was absolutely floored. It really, really surprised me. 
and it's from the American Institute of Stress. And it's this, between 75 and 90% of visits to primary care physicians are for stress-related conditions. 75 to 90% of the reasons why we go to see our primary care doctors root back to stress-related illness. That is huge. And my guess is, is that in the past two years, that 75 is probably tilting up more in the neighborhood of 90 because certainly the pandemic has taken an already stressed out human race and really jacked that up a lot. So what is stress? Well, there's lots of definitions out there and lots of really good definitions. So there's no one right definition. This is a definition that I like to use. It's this, a physical and or emotional reaction that people experience as they encounter changes in life, situations in life, and events in life. And stress is unique to each human being, much like a fingerprint. So what stresses me out, which is lots of things, as I mentioned, might not stress you out. It's highly individualized. So that's why it really doesn't make any sense at all to compare how you manage stress to somebody else. It's a no-win situation when you do that. And stress is necessary for our survival. And not all stress is bad. There's actually a word for good stress, if you can believe it, and it's called eustress, and it's spelled E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. And eustress is moderate or normal stress that is beneficial to our well-being. So an example of eustress would be, oh, let's say you got a promotion, and the day is coming when you're going to transition from your current job to that new job, and you're feeling nervous and anxious about it. And you decide, I'm going to start preparing. And maybe you start to learn who the new stakeholders are, who you'll be dealing with more in your new role. And maybe you start to look at information to get more comfortable with the new job. And maybe you start meeting people that can help you and mentor you. So when you start that new job, you do a great job. I knew you would. That's where stress really helps us. It motivates us to take control of things and increase our performance. But when does stress become harmful? Well, stress becomes harmful when it becomes chronic. Chronic stress is constant. It's long-term, never-ending stress on the physical, mental, and spiritual elements of our body. And chronic stress is just unrelenting. And the constant long-term release of the body's stress hormone, cortisol, can have devastating, and I mean devastating, effects on our health, as you'll soon find out, yours truly. In the short spurts it was meant for, cortisol helps boost our immune system by limiting inflammation. But high levels of cortisol can actually suppress our immune system and lead us down the path to increased susceptibility to things like colds and sinus infections and more serious things like hypertension, which is high blood pressure, heart disease, autoimmune disease, gastrointestinal disorders, muscular skeletal disorders, and cancer. Hello, that was my brand of an immune system that didn't do what it was supposed to do. So I will be doing the next episode on the fight or flight response, which is what happens when we have stress, when our body detects a threat, whether it's a real threat like a vicious dog chasing us, or a threat that we sort of impose on ourselves. 
maybe we have somebody we work with that we don't get along with and sometimes they egg us on and irritate us or make us feel angry. And as we experience those emotions, when that person triggers us, it triggers the fight or flight response. And that flight or fight response sends cortisol through our body. So if we're constantly living in a state of fight or flight, it's like having an intravenous line of cortisol flowing through our body. And that is not a good thing. And one of the reasons why I'm here is this. My vision is that imagine a world where maybe 10% or maybe even 15% of the 7 billion people in the world reduce their stress a little bit. The world would be a completely different place. You do the math on the 10% of 7 billion. Math is definitely not my thing. But if 10% of 7 billion people started regularly taking care of their stress by engaging in stress-related practices... I guarantee you the world would be a different place. Just look at it now. If you look on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or the news, all we ever see now is people losing their ever-loving shit on each other for stupid things. When did airline rage become a thing? In the last year, year and a half, where people just go off on flight attendants and other people. Road rage has been around for a while. But it's gotten worse. You know, when I was growing up, I was born in the 60s. When I got my license and was driving in the 70s, 80s, somebody cut you off. There was a protocol that would often happen. You would give them the finger. They would give you the finger. And then everybody would be on their merry way. We're done. I got my point across. You didn't care. You got your point across to me. And we would be done. But nowadays, somebody does something, even by accident, and we go apeshit. And you see people driving in front of that driver and slamming on their brakes or following them or, you know, in worst case scenarios, people are pulling out weapons and people have actually died in road rage situations. So we see this all over the world. We see people losing it in grocery stores. We see people losing it in restaurants. We see people losing it out on the street. It's really gotten to a point of unbelievable significance. So my vision is if we can bring 10% of 7 billion people's stress levels down, that would change the world. It really, really would. And so that is one of my reasons for being here. Another reason for being here is a very personal one to me. And it's this, I was diagnosed with an unexpected case of breast cancer in 2013. I was 49 at the time, I'm 59 now, and I'm a single parent of three adult children, ages 30, 28, and 25. So at the time, they were sort of mid to late teens and early 20s, and nobody saw that coming. And I had no history of breast cancer in my family. I was exercising fairly regularly. I was a pretty big runner, you know, in my 20s and 30s and 40s. My diet was okay. It wasn't awful. It wasn't as good as it is now, but I wasn't eating like fast food every night. And I drank socially. So having a breast cancer diagnosis really threw me way off off base. I really was shocked, especially because I had had a, a healthy mammogram in 2012. So I had to go through a double mastectomy, chemo, and radiation. 
And it took a good year or more for me to really feel like myself after all that. But after that, I, I had to take a step back and say, what the hell happened? How did I get to this place? I'll never know what really triggered the cancer. But what I have come to learn is that in the 20 or 30 years leading up to that diagnosis, I was living in a state of first regular stress and then a state of chronic stress. And I didn't even know it. I had no idea what stress management was. And I got used to living that way. So it was the norm for me. And as I've examined this, I've come to know that maybe had I understood this better and engaged in practices to help myself, maybe my immune system would have worked the way it was supposed to when that first cancer cell made itself known. Because our immune systems are really amazing things. And they can detect when a cell goes abnormal and they have a process for killing it. But mine didn't do it. So I had to really look in the mirror and say, Anne-Marie Bell, you have got to make some changes in your life because I don't want to end up back here. So I've been a survivor of breast cancer since 2013, and, and I want to keep going. So I looked back on my life and figured out that I was doing about 10 or 11 things consistently that did not help support good stress management. So I'm going to lay out my list for you, and let's see if any of these resonate with you. So first of all, I've been a warrior as far back as I can remember, and, I, and my dad was a warrior, and I think his mom, my grandmother, was a warrior too. And so I worry about everything, and especially when my kids were teenagers, not only would I worry, but I would then try to control what the worst case scenario might possibly be because I would always think about the worst case scenario and then I would try to control it as if I was God or something. And that's exhausting. And that puts a lot of stress in your head when you're constantly worrying and trying to control outcomes to avoid a worst case scenario that would probably never happen. But in my mind, it was a possibility and a probability. So that was number one on my list, worrying constantly and trying to control outcomes. Number two on my list was anxiety. I have anxiety. I never knew I had anxiety until the last several years. And my anxiety is catastrophic anxiety. It relates back to what I just told you about worrying. I will encounter a situation and instead of just processing it normally, I will have the feeling and then walk across the bridge of imagination and create a worst case scenario. So for example, to give you an example of how my mind works, I could be driving down the street and see an old crappy dilapidated house on the side of the road. And my mind would automatically go into gear. And I would imagine that my car was going to break down right at that moment. And a psychopath would come running out of the house and drag me in and, and kill me. And then I would keep driving and then I'd see something else and I would have a, a similar kind of catastrophic fantasy. And my mind just would do that all the time. So I got used to it. I don't do that anymore. I have a, a mechanism for making myself stop. As soon as that thought starts to put its foot on that bridge, we rein it back in. I often wonder if I turned this into writing, could I be like a female Stephen King, because some of my thoughts are just really, really out there. I'm also, I figured, number three on my list, I figured out 
I'm an empath and empaths are highly attuned to the feelings and emotions of others and often absorb those feelings and emotions. And I was certainly like a super sponge empath in my teens, 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I would be really intuitive about people, which I think is a nice thing, but I would take it to the moon. And if somebody expressed a feeling, I would feel like it was my responsibility to A, talk it through with them and B, then help them solve the problem. Now, I've been in the field of human resources for almost 40 years. That was part of my job, but I I went well beyond what was part of my job and did that both personally and professionally. And you know, it costs you when you constantly absorb the feelings and emotions of others and have no practice of clearing that energy. I engage in practices now to clear the energy. So I'm not a sponge anymore whatsoever, but I'm still empathetic to people and I'm still highly intuitive when I can tell when somebody's got something going on. Number four in my list is I am a consummate people pleaser. And I think I've been a people pleaser since I was a tiny little spark in my mom's eye. I bet if I could have spoken when I was born, I would have looked up at the doctor and nurse and said, hey, you guys have worked hard to bring me into the world today. Why don't you go take a coffee break and I'll clean myself up and cut my umbilical cord and you take a break. I seriously think I would have done something like that. And although it's great to want to help people, it's a wonderful way to be. I didn't set boundaries. I wanted to help everybody. And you know, I'll give you an example. When I first started working in the work world after I graduated from college, I would take on any and every assignment. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. Oh, you want this thing done by tomorrow morning? It's five o'clock and it's going to take me three hours. I'll take care of it. No worries. And I would run myself ragged. And there, there are points in my career where I would just take on too much. So what would happen is I wouldn't be able to deliver things to people when I said I would. And all of a sudden, that was a problem, as it should be. When you make a commitment to deliver something and then you don't consistently, that needs to be fixed. And the reason I did that is because I couldn't say no. I could not set boundaries, which is fifth on my list. And one of the reasons why I have so much trouble saying no is because I am motivated by fear. So in my mind, if I say no to that person, they might think I'm not a team player, or they may think I'm not being helpful, or they may assess me as not being someone they can count on, or I might lose my job, or a million other things. So fear was the next thing on my list. And that, I think, really relates and intersects and interconnects with being a people pleaser and not being able to set boundaries. The next thing on my list was that I was in a relationship that was very, very stressful for many years. I was married for 14 years and living in a relationship that's not right for you does not support wellness and well-being. And that certainly caused regular stress. The next thing on my list is overachievement and perfectionism. I call myself now affectionately a recovering overachiever and perfectionist. But before I realized that being an overachiever and a perfectionist was really working against me, I took it to the limit. And I can remember being an overachiever when I was in second or third grade. Everything had to be 
perfect. I had no mechanism for discerning that this assignment should be really done well. I have to give it my best versus this thing doesn't really matter. If it doesn't get well done well, nobody's really going to care. It will not have any impact, but I, I couldn't do that. Everything had to be done. Perfect. And what I've learned is it's really about making progress, not being perfect. But that took me a long, long time to be comfortable with that. But when you're in a state of overachieving and perfectionism constantly, you're constantly being stressed. So my chronic stress came well before I became an adult. The next thing on my list is looking at never giving up as failure, that quitting is failure. That was a limiting belief I carried for many, 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 many years. Like you never give up, right? You, you never, never give up. And what I've come to learn is that sometimes letting go of people or situations is the best thing you can do. Because if you have people in your life or situations that are not serving your wellness, Letting those things go has to be done. It's not quitting and giving up. It's doing the right thing for your health. The next thing on my list is that I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. So if you can relate to this, you'll understand what I'm about to say. And I love my family. I had a great childhood. It wasn't perfect. There were things that happened, but it wasn't horrible. It was actually really great when you look at it in the aggregate and wonderful parents And we had a big extended family. Both my parents came from very large families. So a lot of aunts and uncles, great aunts and uncles and cousins. And whenever anyone went through something serious, we dealt with it. Like we went at it like no other. We will deal with this issue. We will show up with our game face. We will get to the other side of this problem. We will fix anything, which is a good quality, but The thing that we did that wasn't so good is that we never talked about it. Like we could go through a really intense thing that really was emotional and stirring and serious, but we never talked about it. So I look back and I think we had this unspoken rule, deal, don't feel. You will deal with the situation, but you will show no emotion and we will not discuss it because we solved the problem. So what's there to discuss, right? Problem solved. But what happens is if we deal with all these traumatic situations and we don't express how they impacted us, those feelings don't disappear and dissipate into the air. They sit in our subconscious. I call it grime, emotional grime. And that emotional grime builds up year over year over year. Every time we go through something and we don't process it, the problem might be solved. But the fallout of that issue sits in our subconscious like emotional, dirty grime. And then it starts to coat our immune systems. And that brings our immune system's capability down. Think of it this way. Have you ever driven by an old dilapidated factory that's been shut down for years? And of course, you know, when I drive by those things, I think zombies are going to come out of them with my catastrophic thinking. Anyway. If you were to go into that old dilapidated factory, you might see grime on the windows and grime on the floor, and you might see old machinery that's just laden with grime, and it's not healthy. And it's the same with deal, don't feel. When we don't process things, 
they sit deeply in our subconscious. And you may have had an experience where something happens maybe with your friends or your partner or at work, and your reaction is really not aligned with the situation. And you know it as you're overreacting or reacting in a different way, you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I should be reacting this way, but I can't help myself. And my guess would be there's some trigger sitting in your subconscious that roots back to some situation that happened earlier in your life that you never really processed. So it's that grimy got you. And I started having that happen, uh, you know, a few years back. And I realized my reactions to things aren't matched to the actual situation. I have to figure out what's going on in my subconscious that's making me look through the lens of whatever is unprocessed in my mind and reacting the way I'm reacting because I'm getting triggered at it and I don't know why. So I've learned and also changed how I process emotions that are serious because of serious situations. They need to be processed. They can't just sit there in your subconscious. So when I gathered all those things together and really looked at them in one place and did all that work to figure it out, I realized the common denominator here is that all of these things were making me live in a chronic state of stress. So my fight or flight response was constantly in on position. So I was just feeding my body just liters and liters of cortisol. So I realized that I didn't help myself when that first cancer cell made itself known. I don't think it caused the cancer, but it certainly didn't help things. So that's why I'm here. I don't want anyone to ever have to face a diagnosis like I had to face if they can make some changes in their life to improve their immune system's ability to manage disease the way it's meant to. So I'm really passionate about this. You can ask my family and friends. I talk about it nonstop, probably ad nauseum, and I probably annoy the hell out of them sometimes. But I feel so strongly about it that I want to talk about it. And if you want to learn more about this and talk about this, then come back for episode two. And if you have questions or you want to share your story, you can reach me in two places. Place number one is on Instagram. I'm at stresslessamb. Or you can reach me by email at amb at stresslessamb.com. So I'll leave you with this thought. First of all, thank you for listening to the inaugural episode one. I really, really appreciate that you came here. Number two, I hope some of what I said resonated with you. So you're starting to feel, oh, I'm not alone in this. There's somebody else that has gone through what I'm going through. And she's gotten past it and she's learned to deal with it differently. I want to learn more too. And number three, I want you to think of this. Think of your breathing as your best friend. Breath is my BF. So as you go through the week and you encounter a situation where you feel, mm, my heart's starting to beat faster, I'm getting a tight stomach, I'm starting to sweat, or my mind's starting to get very angry, I've been triggered by somebody or something, before you engage, try to pause and take a nice deep breath through your nose 
Make sure that breath is coming from your abdomen and not your chest. We don't want to have you start rapid breathing and hyperventilate, but try to take a nice long breath. And then if you can, take another one. And it just might be the thing that stops you from engaging in something where you lose your ever-loving shit again, right? Or it may stop you from saying something that you will regret. Or it may stop you from getting into a situation that maybe you don't need to get into. And if you do get into that situation, or you say something you wish you didn't, I don't want you to feel guilty. If you took that breath, but you still weren't able to take a pause, I want you to pat yourself on the back. Because even though you got into that situation, you still took a step in the right direction by taking that long, deep breath. So you made progress. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Why Am I So Effing Stressed podcast. Imagine how different the world would be if people were less reactive and more relaxed. Kindly leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform so we can continue helping people learn about stress and how to more effectively manage it. You can connect with Anne-Marie via Instagram at StresslessAMB or by email at amb at StresslessAMB.com.